6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Pilate, of course, is amazed that this rich man says, Joe, you've got this new tomb for your family. And you're going to give it to this criminal. And Joe says, Oi, just for the weekend. <laughs> I steal my best stuff from Chuck. Isn't that great? <laughs> and was with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Oh, come on. What do you mean? It pleased the Lord to bruise him? What does that mean? The father loves his son. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? Certainly not because he enjoyed bruising him. That's obviously not the context. But because of the benefit it would accrue to you and I. That God loves you so much that he endured, you know, if I can use my phrase, this, for what it would the benefit it accrues to you. It pleased the Lord to bruise him for our benefit, not certainly not his. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his body an offering for sin, is that what it says? Another word there. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Ouch, wait a minute. All this foregoing discussion, the nails, the wound, all the physical abuse, probably far more painful, far deeper in many respects than you and I, without a medical background, can fully appreciate. And yet, that's not the point. That's what I might call the packaging. What's really going on here? It goes at least three levels, probably a lot more. First level is the bodily form. We've looked at that and we feel, anyone in this room can feel the, the pain. And yet, here it says, he may, he, Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Something deeper going on. Something deeper going on. And of course, when we read Psalm 22, and he roars out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We begin to realize there is something even deeper going on. When thou shalt make a soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Speaking, of course, of the resurrection. Because how can he be killed and have all this happen? 
prolong his days? I thought he was killed. Right. It's called the resurrection. Celebrating the feast of Moses by the feast of first fruits. When is the feast of first fruits celebrated? On the morning after Shabbat, after Passover. When was Christ crucified? On Passover. He's in the tomb, three days. On the morning after Shabbat, we call that Sunday morning. He's resurrected, as predicted in the Feast of Moses, and fulfilling many passages, being one of them. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Very key idea. You are not pardoned from your sin through leniency. Leniency isn't righteousness, isn't really justice. It may seem merciful to the recipient. The good news is you are pardoned because it's been paid in full. The righteous judge has arranged for your full burden to have been paid off. It's not by leniency or some loophole or some misguided laxity that we have escaped our destiny. But because that destiny has been fully paid and provided for, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. This whole episode was to satisfy a righteous God who cannot compromise his righteousness and yet loves you so much that he went to such incredible extremes to have that provided for. You shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. How are you justified before the throne of grace? By Christ's righteousness, not yours. If you really understand that, you can take comfort and confidence in Christ's faithfulness, not yours. He did the whole job. And you can appropriate it to yourself for etern throughout eternity by simply accepting it, by simply receiving it. If you're in prison and there's a full pardon for you, full pardon for you, there's one thing you've got to do. You've got to accept it. There are people that serve their sentences having a full pardon who refuse to accept it. So the sentence was executed. A pardon has to be accepted, even in our clumsy laws. That's the procedure. And there are cases on record where that happens. You have a destiny, but a grim destiny without the pardon. And a pardon is there for the acceptance of it, paid for. God is satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The son of the judge, so to speak, has paid the whole fine, for he shall bear their iniquities. There again is the vicarious substitution, the substitution of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Verse 11. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Fascinating detail. 
clearly demonstrate all through here. Just let's just deal with the, the descriptive detail. All described in advance, eight centuries in advance. The whole method of crucifixion, the, the episodes, the dividing of the garments, the, uh, his uh, uh, refusal to defend himself, executed among the wicked and yet with the rich in the grave. All the details, again, item after item after item. Well, Isaiah didn't really write Isaiah. It doesn't matter. This was all translated, the Tanakh. The Old Testament was translated into Greek. Three centuries before Christ was born. Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and lots of others. How many others? 300 prophecies have been detailed that were fulfilled in his ministry 19 centuries ago. 300 of these things. Big lists. Over 300. It's numbered with the transgressions. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for the criminal next to him. Yes, this day will you be in paradise. But that's not what he, he made intercession for the transgressors. There are a lot of transgressors there. Now, lots of aspects to this. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Question for you, a technicality, but it, it may have value for us. Was it first or second degree murder? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So on that premise, I'm going to argue, rhetorically speaking, that this sounds to me like manslaughter, doesn't it? Right? It was premeditated, but on whose part? Peter tells us in the book of Acts that it was a predetermined and foreknowledge of God, right? So this was God's plan, that the Son would go through this for you and I. But there is a sense, at least, I could argue, that it's manslaughter. Why do I make that point? Because we find in the Old Testament a quaint custom instituted in the laws of Moses, in the Torah. When the Israel was to enter the promised land, they were to set out six cities, three east of the Jordan, three west of the Jordan, called the cities of refuge. And we read that, and, and the whole idea of the city of refuge was if you killed somebody accidentally or inadvertently, something other than premeditated murder, what we would call in our vernacular manslaughter, you had a problem because the next of kin was going to come after you, the avenger of blood. So what you did is you were to run fast, and try to make it to one of these six cities. Obviously, you'd pick the closest one and haul out for it. When you got there, if you could convince the city fathers that, in fact, you were guilty of manslaughter, not first-degree murder, you were granted sanctuary in that city. The avenger of blood was not allowed to take his vengeance in the city. Now, if you left town and he caught you, you've had it. That was his mission, and that was your vulnerability, and that's the way it was. The, the next, that was the way they dealt with it. And you stayed in the city of refuge until an event occurred. This whole situation thus was stabilized. Uh, you're in the city, you're safe, the avenger of blood is uh, presumably outside. You could stay there until an event occurred, that the high priest died. Back in Jerusalem, 
Someday, maybe, the high priest would pass away, and that triggered an event which said you as a, a uh, one fleeing, you were free to leave the city of refuge, and the avenger of blood couldn't touch you. You follow me? You had protection, permanent. I'm bringing this up for several reasons. One is when you read these quaint things in the Old Testament, I'm going to suggest a Chuck Missler's hypothesis. It may not be true. I'm just going to throw it out for your own consideration and, and exploration. I believe that there's nothing trivial in the Scripture, that everything's there by design, every detail. That's You've heard me say that. I believe every number, every place name, everything in the Scripture is there by supernatural engineering. And I've made my life hobby collecting examples of that. Now, when you encounter something like the city of refuge, you say, well, gee, Chuck, what's that got to do with anything? Well, not only can I give you an answer, I'll give you a methodology that generally will work. When you find something in the Scripture that makes no sense to you at all, let me give you two suggestions. Another one occurs to me that I should share with you. I'm going to encourage you, as part of your approach to the Bible, is to keep a journal. You girls will do that because you're used to keeping diaries and stuff. Guys generally don't, but I encourage you to keep a journal. And when you find something you don't understand, rejoice. Take your journal, put down the date, just put down the reference, and try to express to yourself what it is you don't understand. I know it's hard to do, but try to, it's private. It's not something you'll never show anybody. Just for yourself, try to, to document your confusion. Then close your journal and pray about it. Give it to the Holy Spirit and stand back. It won't necessarily happen in the next five or ten seconds. It may happen the next day, the next week, a month later. I'm not sure when. Something will occur. It might be something else you're reading, some other unrelated verse. It might be something you hear on the radio. It might be partially hearing or misunderstanding somebody else's conversation. But somehow, the Holy Spirit will give you an insight. And you'll go back to that part that confused you, and it'll be so obvious you will have forgotten how confusing it was. That's why I want you to keep a journal. Because then I want you to put the date and the events that caused that verse to become clear to you. This will have no meaning to anybody else. It's private. But as you collect these, and there will be a number of these, every time you give something to the Holy Spirit, He will answer this. And then you'll discover a lot of things. When you get down, and there will be times you go through a valley of doubt, and you wonder, gee, have we gotten carried away with it all? And, and, and you'll have times when you're just really out of it. I want you to go back to your journal and remind yourself of the personal, supernatural tutoring, not of Chuck Missler or anybody else on the radio or TV, the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's an incredible experience. You have to have it for yourself. And when you have it, you won't be able to share it with anyone else. You'll sound like a nut. But you'll know. There have been times I can remember vividly that I, I'm an adventurer. I've had many exciting things in my life, but I can remember the most dramatic experience when God showed me something that caused me just to fall on the floor of my study and cry because of what he showed. Some, some incredible insight that was troubling me. Now, getting back to the pragmatics, if you find something like the city of refuge, the other suggestion is take Jesus Christ and put him right in the middle of it and see what happens. I would suggest to you, Jesus Christ is our city of refuge. And we're guilty of manslaughter, aren't we? What's our refuge? He is. For how long? Till the high priest dies. Who's our high priest? 
that's interesting, then our refuge is permanent, isn't it? In him. And you say, Chuck, that's a lot of puns there, isn't it? But that's exactly what the Holy Spirit deals with. That's a suggestion. We talked about a Goel, kinsman redeemer. We focused tonight on Isaiah 53, where Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He died for us. But I want to share something else with you to keep in the back of your mind. As the Bible teaches us what the kinsman redeemer is, he has two roles. He has the role of the Goel as the kinsman redeemer, that is to redeem the land and redeem the bride and all that. We've talked about that, Book of Ruth guy. But the kinsman redeemer has another role. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus Christ opens his ministry, when he formally starts his actual ministry, he's come of age, he's getting ready to... He reads in the synagogue at Nazareth from the book of Isaiah. And the portion that he reads is recorded in Isaiah chapter 61. In the synagogue of Nazareth, his first thing publicly to do was in chapter 61, he read the following... It's recorded in Luke 4, but I'm reading from Isaiah for some specific reasons. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he did something kind of interesting. He closed the book and told them there, this day is that prophecy fulfilled in your ears. And he starts his ministry. And we read that, we understand it. He's anointed to preach good tidings to the meek and so forth. That all fits, doesn't it? It isn't until we go back to Isaiah and realize where he stopped. He stopped at a comma. Verse 2 says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God. Who? He didn't read that because that wasn't the time. That part was not fulfilled at that, on that particular Shabbat in Capernaum. I mean in Nazareth. But see that the... Kinsman Redeemer has two roles. One is the one of redemption. And that's what he did the first visit. He provided for your redemption and mine. But he's not through. There were 300, over 300 prophecies fulfilled in his first coming. But there are over 500 that deal with his return. And his mission on the return is going to be quite different. He's going to be the avenger of blood. Isaiah, in chapter 63, describes him with blood all over his garments. Not his blood, the blood of his enemies. And the more you study prophecy, the more you can very quickly become convinced we are on the threshold of that time. The 70-week prophecy of Daniel, that Gabriel gave Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, is clearly getting positioned it's all starting to happen. Ezekiel 38 and 39 describes an alignment of nations and an agenda that's unfolding before our very eyes as the Soviets break up the various, and the Islamic Republic seek separate identity with the UN 
with three things in common. They're Muslim, they're short of hard currency of nuclear weapons, and they're obviously going to intrigue with their Islamic brothers against what? What unites Islam? Their hatred for Israel. Ezekiel 38 is getting positioned. Next month, next year, I'm not setting dates, but it's close. All the experts know that. The Bible says that Europe will emerge as a, out of which will come a world government. Hey, watch it. It's watching unfolding. The original 12 have been joined by seven more of the EFTA nations, so now there's 19. But take the ball, you got three more. you got 20. In fact, you're going to end up with 23 nations and growing. Three times the population of the United States and on an agenda for what? A world government. Interesting what the Bible says. The Bible says Babylon is going to be rebuilt. Saddam Hussein spent 20, last 20 years doing it. It's coming. Not there yet, but it's emerging. Watch for it. Fascinating. Israel's back in the land. No surprise. Regain Jerusalem on the very day that Ezekiel predicted. No surprise. Bible, the, three times the New Testament says that the temple's got to be rebuilt. Hey, they, they're starting. 200 priests in training. The most of the implements built. Not all, but almost of them. It's all happening as we speak. And, of course, the issue isn't Russia or Babylon or Israel or Jerusalem or the temple or Europe or any of that stuff. The issue is Jesus Christ. Was he who he said he was? Did he fulfill the incredible detail laid out, not only by Isaiah 53, but the other 300 details? And if so, what are you going to do about it? What's your position in Jesus Christ? Are you sure of your position in Jesus Christ? Are you confident that you are his? Boy, I sure deal with that. Nothing else matters. Nothing else really matters. It really doesn't. That's the whole enchilada, your position in Christ. Someone told me the other day they knew the hour that he's returning. I, you know, they always excuse me of setting the day in the hour. It's going to be between 2 and 3 in the morning. I said, where? He says, I don't know. <laughs> Suppose I could tell you that Jesus Christ was going to, going to return to the earth to fulfill his mission between 2 and 3 o'clock tonight, tomorrow morning. What's your feeling? If you get excited about that, hey, that's praise God, then I know you've got as many problems as I have. First time I heard people applaud that I've got problems. No, no. <laughs> if, on the other hand, that idea, seriously, sends a little trickle of fear down your spine, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, you're not ready. And the amazing thing is you can be ready this evening. You just make a commitment to Him. He'll handle it all. Well, we don't have a follow-up program. Praise God. You know who follows up? The Holy Spirit will. And he does it right. He knows your needs. He knows your hurts. He'll draw you into those portions of scriptures. He'll have you grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior. He knows how to do it. What you need to do is commit yourself to Jesus Christ. No, I'm not going to have an altar call. It would be a natural time to do it. Those of you that might want to come down and just pray, hey, I'm here, and that's great. You can do it tonight. Turn to anyone you trust and just confess Jesus Christ. Just commit yourself to him. He'll take care of the rest. And then confess it to somebody, somebody you trust. Go on record. He'll take care of it. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and 
whosoever cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He'll handle the whole thing. Don't wait till you're ready. You'll never be ready. He's ready. That's the important thing. Your position in Jesus Christ, it's the whole ball game, my friends. Everything else is wood, hay, stubble. <laughs> I know I've trafficked in wood, hay, stubble for a long time. I've won, I've lost, I've been, I've done it all, frankly, in many respects. And, and uh, it's interesting, I praise God that he's allowed me the, the perspective of the futility of all the rest. All the other appetites are unsatisfying, whatever they are. All the other things we choose to worship. Empty distractions. He's what, he's, he's what it's all about. You and I have an enormous advantage. We were having this discussion 10, 20, 50 years ago. It's a theological issue. Yeah. Okay. Today, all you have to do is pick up the newspaper. Every day it unfolds. Every day it becomes more clear. Every day another piece falls into place. It's happening, and God seems to be in a hurry. I don't mean that literally. He's never in a hurry. But, boy, the pace at which things are happening. This is the time to get serious about your position in Jesus Christ. This is the time to get serious about the Bible. Find out all these things for yourself. Don't believe a thing I told you. Dig it out for yourself. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's what it's all about. What God puts above his name, his word, declares from Genesis chapter 1 through Revelation 22, one primary issue. The person, the mission, the achievements of his son, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah promised to the God of Abram, Isaac, and Yaakov, the one that has provided an eternal destiny for you and I. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Isaiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.